Welcome to South Coast Night. I'm Marcus. Chris is out for the night. He'll be back uh, tomorrow for our sheriff primary debate. The Democratic candidates for sheriff are hosting uh, our... I'm hosting it with Chris, actually. They're not hosting the debate. I'm hosting the debate. But in a way, they kind of are hosting the debate because they're going to get to ask each other questions. Chris and I will ask them questions. They're going to ask each other questions. And you're going to ask them questions. You get to call in at the 9 o'clock hour from 9 to 10 at 508-996-0500 and ask the sheriff candidates whatever questions you'd like. Should be a good time. It's really important. Once every six years, you get to pick your Bristol County Sheriff. And I know it's easy to not pay attention because the sheriff oversees a lot of the population and affects a lot of populations that are typically ones that you might not be paying attention to, ones that might be disenfranchised. But they're important. It's a really important race um, because the sheriff plays an integral role in, uh, in public safety. And uh, so you should pay attention to that, whether or not, whether you support Tom Hodgson or whether you support not Tom Hodgson, one of these candidates that it's going to come out. You should uh, you should tune in tomorrow and listen to the debate and uh, hear what they have to say, because um, at the end of the day, one of these p- people is going to be in the primary. I mean, being the general election against Sheriff Hodgson, and uh, it should be a, a lot of attention in that race, um, both. Not just locally, but statewide and probably nationally, too. I compare it to Sheriff Joe Arpaio um, in Arizona in 2018. That was uh, in Maricopa County in 2018. I believe Maricopa County is where Phoenix is. I could be wrong about that. You Feel free to correct me. 508-996-0500 on that. But, um, but, uh, but yeah... I compare it to that because you have someone who's an outspoken national leader on, uh, you know, issues of immigration, who's a sheriff, uh, who has drawn the, you know, who has, 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 has a good relationship with President Trump, has drawn the ire of uh, Democrats, both locally and nationally. And so it should be a really good race. But it starts here. It starts here. It starts at the primary. It starts in the primary debate tomorrow from 8 to 10 here on South Coast Night. So, by the way, the filibuster, um, I want to clarify a few things. So, a caller called in and asked about the filibuster. And I talked about it a little bit earlier in the show because basically you need, the filibuster is basically required. You need 60 votes for legislation to pass now. Unless that legislation is done through reconciliation, in which that means this le- the legislation has enough to do with the national budget or the national debt or something like that. The national debt, I think it is, um, to, uh, to bypass the filibuster and only require 51 votes. That's how Trump's tax uh, cut got passed. That's how... That's how um, That's how this legislation got passed. That's how the American Rescue Plan, ARPA, that's how that got passed. The bipartisan infrastructure bill actually got done with both both parties. That's why it's called the bipartisan infrastructure bill. Um, And that's how this legislation, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, got passed. Is that a good name for legislation? I don't know. 
Uh, that's also how a big part of Obamacare got passed. They had needed 60 votes to get the framework of the law passed. And then they had other stuff that had that could be passed through reconciliation, passed through the Health Care and Reconciliation Act. Back then they had 60 votes. The Democrats had 60 votes. Now, they weren't always there, the 60 votes, but they were there most of the time. And, you know, because Ted Kennedy was dying and then they took a while to see Al Franken because Al Franken had a really close election in Minnesota. So it took a while to see Al Franken in 2008 or 2009. But they still, for, for a time, had 60 votes and they needed it to pass. I think they needed that to pass. They needed 60 votes to pass the stimulus package. The what was it called? The. American Recovery and Reinvestment Act or something like that, which at the time was a huge spending bill, but is dwarfed by even some of the legislation Trump passed. I actually, you know what? I shouldn't have said that the tax cut bill was Trump's only legislative accomplishment. There was the um, the COVID relief legislation too. So I'll be fair. But the filibuster, so basically how it works is if you want to introduce a bill, it's got to go to a, in the Senate it's got to go to that Senate committee, right? So let's say it's a bill on, let's say it's a, a bill on criminal justice reform, right? It goes to the Senate Judiciary Committee. Senate Judiciary Committee, you know, has hearings on the bill. They have hearings on the bill. It might, and it could go to different committees. Maybe it goes to the Senate Judiciary Committee and, you know, the Senate, uh, budget committee for whatever reason maybe it goes through a few committees but let's say it just goes to the senate judiciary committee it goes to the judiciary committee uh they do hearings on it and you know in order to get a full picture of the issue get a you know a, a full reading of the bill and what it means and what's in it and then it goes and if a majority of senators in the committee vote for it it goes to the floor but it doesn't go to the floor Unless it passes through, unless it passes the, the debate phase. And the debate phase is where the filibuster comes in because you need 60 votes to end the debate. So it used to be, you used to have someone invoke a talking filibuster where they just talk to try to kill a bill and take up floor time and basically kill a bill. And it would take a, it would take 60 senators to end that debate. But now you can do a silent filibuster. So now every bill has to be ended in debate by a 60-vote majority. Now, I remember they, and maybe they should just start doing this now if they're allowed to. I'm sure they're allowed to. I remember doing, the, I don't remember, I don't remember because I wasn't alive. But it was like 20-something years before I was born. <laughs> but the civil rights, during the civil rights uh, legislation and the, uh, you know, the... 1964, uh, the Great Society stuff and the civil rights legislation, there were senators that were going to filibuster the legislation, a lot like Strom Thurmond filibustered the 57 Civil Rights Act. But I believe at the time, the leadership in the Senate, and they'd had large majorities after, because Lyndon Johnson rode, you know, rode that wave into the White House and all of that. They had large majorities. So they were able to say, we're actually just going to bypass committee and put it directly on the floor. So you just have to vote on it then. So there is no filibuster, right? If you put it directly on the floor, there's no filibuster without having to clear it through committee. You don't get as 
much deliberation on it, but if it doesn't, you know, it's better than a bill that doesn't pass. And so that's basically how they ended the, um, the filibuster discussion at that time. Uh, Massachusetts doesn't have a filibuster. I think there's only a handful of states that do have a filibuster in their Senate. I'm still not entirely sure what the Massachusetts Senate, like, what's the, I'm still not entirely sure what the, like, the mass, like, if you're a senator, you have a lot more power than a representative does, obviously, because you're one of 40 instead of one of 160, and you're accountable to a larger district. But a senator in Massachusetts doesn't have the same responsibilities as a senator in Congress, right? Because judicial appointments go through the governor's council. And I don't think the Senate deliberates cabinet appointments. A lot of them are elected. I don't think Baker has to get his cabinet appointments approved by the Senate, the state Senate. Don't think so. So I always wondered, like, what's what's the... You know, I just wonder what added responsibilities the Massachusetts Senate have. I know they're more powerful. They're more powerful, obviously, because you're one vote of 40 instead of one in one sixteen. You have a bigger district. But beyond that, what's what are the responsibilities that they have? I'm still not sure on it. We'll have some senators, and maybe I can ask them. They can tell me. 508-996-0500. There's some primaries that we got to watch out for today. Uh, I mean, we're we're a bit behind them because they're it's the time zone, right? Because of the time zone difference. Because one of them is in Wyoming, and Wyoming is probably mountain time. Wyoming's probably mountain time, and uh, and the other is in Alaska. So. In Wyoming, you have uh, Liz Cheney, the daughter of Vice President Dick Cheney, who is a representative. Now, Wyoming only has about 500,000 people, so they only have one congressperson. Vermont's the same way. I think they only have one congressperson. Rhode Island probably should only have one congressperson, honestly, but they have two, which is a good thing. Uh, They have two. Um, New Hampshire has two. There's a few other states that just have one because they're smaller states. So, and it's based on population. So Liz Cheney wants to be the, oh, Alaska has one as well. Alaska has one. Alaska has one congressperson right now and the seat is open. And Sarah Palin today is on the ballot to, in a, I think they what they have is like a more of a jungle primary and they have ranked choice, ranked choice voting in Alaska. So they're deciding like who's going to, um, who's going to face off in that election. Now, Sarah Palin hasn't been an electoral, like hasn't been an elected official in 13 years. She hasn't been an elected official in 13 years because after she had lost the after she lost the vice, uh, after she lost the presidential election with John McCain, if you'll remember, in 2009, she decided to resign. <laughs> like, just see you later. <laughs> just decide, like, I'm out. And then she, um, and so I think there's a lot of people that are still like, okay, well, you did half a term as governor. And then just left, <laughs> and then just left on us. So maybe you don't get to be a congressperson. We'll see. Or the guy Mark Sanford got elected in South Carolina after he had uh, he had 
after he had got caught as uh he got caught gallivanting off with a mistress in like uh some some tropical country and then he you know he was a governor and then he had to resign but then he got then he beat Stephen Colbert's sister for her seat for for the open seat in South Carolina and he got the seat which was incredible to me so you never know i mean there's you know She'll get a redemption. But Liz Cheney is uh, probably going to lose her primary today. She's probably going to lose her primary. I wish we could find out now. And one of the good things about South Coast tonight is that, you know, debates that are in our time zone and specifically in our state and in our locality, we'll be able to talk about, we'll be able to live react to. Chris and I will be able to um, get candidates to call in and react to their victory or their defeat um, in real time. And the first day we're going to get to do that is hmm, the first day we're going to get to do that is September 6th on primary day. We're going to have a lot to react to. Obviously, you have you got the primary in uh, with Rick Trapillo and Bill Strauss in the 10th Bristol District. You've got the primary in the Bristol County Sheriff's race. You've got the primary in the district attorney's race. You have the primary in the. I think it's a ninth or eighth Bristol district in Dartmouth, basically. The, who's going to be the Dartmouth slash North End and New Bedford rep between Chris Markey and Cameron Costa? So there's a lot of primary action. There's the primary on the Republican side for the 10th Bristol district between Jeff Swift and Bob McConnell. So there's going to be a lot of stuff. That, I mean, it's cool actually that the, it's the first time in it's the first time really in a long time that there's been uh, any sort of <laughs> Like a lot of action, I think. This is the most action that there's been uh, on a primary day locally in a long time, in a really long time. And, of course, you've got the primaries for all the, the state candidate, the candidates for state office. All the candidates for state office, you've got a primary for them, too. So, and I've had a lot of them on, and we're going to continue having a lot of them on. But Liz Cheney's up for a primary. She's running against this... Uh, Republic, like long uh, Republican, what's her name? Uh, lawyer. I'm looking at, I'm trying to, doesn't really matter, right? <laughs> it doesn't matter who it is. The point is that Liz Cheney's going to lose. It looks like she's going to lose. And I think she's preparing for it. She's preparing some, some speech about integrity. Harriet, ha uh, Har Harriet Hageman. Harriet Hageman, uh, which is the Republican, uh, which is the Trump-backed Republican lawyer who I believe ran for governor in that state in 2018. I think she ran for governor. She's probably going to win that primary and then win the election. Of course, I don't even know if a Democrat's running in the Wyoming. I don't know how it works, but Wyoming isn't going to elect a Democrat. So Liz Cheney obviously is, you know, uh, the Cheney family is a staple in Wyoming politics. Dick Cheney, who is the vice president of the United States, represented Wyoming in Congress throughout the 80s until he got elected to, until he got a um, tap to be uh, Bush's um, secretary of defense, right? So he was also George, uh, not George, uh, Gerald Ford's chief of staff, right? He was Gerald Ford's chief of staff. In the late 70s, him and Rumsfeld were, were higher ups in, in, Ford, in the Ford administration. Then Carter, uh, 
you know, Carter beat Ford, so he ran for Congress. His actually his wife campaigned for him a lot because Cheney had one of his you know dozen heart attacks on the campaign, so his wife actually hit the trail for him a lot. Lynn Cheney hit the trail for him a lot, but Liz Cheney. Uh, and then, you know, obviously he became Secretary of Defense. He wanted to run for president himself, but he saw the polling. I mean, nobody really knows who was Secretary of Defense is for the most part. So wasn't a lot of interest in, in that rate, uh, in that. So in becoming the vice president after running a, running a Republican, running a search uh, committee for the, you know, uh, running for George Bush, running the search committee, and then basically just suggesting himself to George Bush <laughs> to be the, to be the vice president. But. Liz Cheney's going up there and talking about election integrity and how she and 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 she voted. She was one of the House Republicans to vote for uh, vote for the impeachment of Donald Trump. Now, out of the ten Republicans that voted to impeach Donald Trump after January six, out of the ten of them, two of them are left. That doesn't include Cheney. Two of them are left. And that's only because they survived primary. Only two of them survived primaries. So a few of them, the guy from Michigan got primaried. Uh, there was a few others that got primaried. There's a, a couple other reps in California, one somewhere else. But one of them only survived the primary because it's a jungle primary. So they might not survive the general election. So that leaves like one, maybe one rep left that voted against Donald Trump uh, for impeachment, voted to to move forward with the impeachment of Donald Trump. And Liz Cheney, again, the Cheney name, a staple in Republican politics for 40 years, uh, is going to lose her seat and probably lose handedly. They're, the polls are actually closed. Polls are closed in Wyoming now. They, close, they must close their polls early. Maybe they closed because they, they're they got to be two hours behind us, right? They're probably two hours behind us because they're not Pacific time. They're probably Rocky time. So they're so they're probably a couple hours behind us. The polls probably close at seven. So it looks like they're just they're waiting for the they're waiting for the polling on this. But Liz Cheney is going to lose that seat. She's already preparing a speech that she's going to have on that. Uh, she probably wants to um, because she can put herself out as a political martyr. And it's all BS, as I, I've explained before. Liz Cheney doesn't have integrity or pride or any of that. This is more a move uh, to represent her faction of the Republican Party that's being essentially forced out by the 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 Trump movement, right? The Trump's presence in the Republican Party has been forcing like that Bush Cheney era of Republicans that dominated the last half century out of the Republican Party. And that's really what her move was about. She doesn't care about election integrity because she's only where she is because her dad stole an election out in the open, right? He stole an election out in the open. The only difference between Dick Cheney and Donald Trump is Dick Cheney was better at stealing elections. He was just better at it, right? He was just a more competent, capable person of stealing an election. So she's going to lose... And a lot of people are going to, I, I saw Democrats are switching their registration to vote for her. Like, why? She's not going to, she's never going to help you. If you're a Democrat, she's never going to pass legislation. That's why I never got the Scott Brown thing. You know, when Scott Brown was running, when Scott Brown was running for reelection, so Scott Brown got elected in 2010 and he was, you know, he was, he, 
there was a lot. There's a perfect storm really to get him elected. It was, it was a special election. So there's low turnout, right? It was a special election in 2010. There was, it was a midterm year. So it was a midterm year in 2010. So there's already midterm years are always really bad for the, the sitting president anyway. And Scott Brown was just a better candidate than Martha Coakley, right? Just a better candidate than Martha Coakley. Martha Coakley was just a bad candidate. She lost that election. She lost the governor's election. So there was kind of like the perfect storm of things going on. And Scott Brown put, did a, ran a good campaign. He was able to present himself as like a relatable guy and all of that. And then he went up against Elizabeth Warren. And Elizabeth Warren is, you know, just a much more skilled politician and presence than than Martha Coakley was. And she was able to, and she, you know, she had a, a few other things going in her favor, like Obama was on the ballot and all of that. But she was going to win either way. If it was a midterm year, Elizabeth Warren was going to crush that election. But. Scott Brown, there was a lot of people that wanted to vote for Scott Brown, like Democrats that were like, it's the same thing with Liz Cheney, like, oh, I like that they're sensible or whatever, whatever that means, right? But Scott Brown, I remember, was signing autographs on the campaign trail saying Scott Brown 41, right? 41. And this goes back to our conversation about the filibuster. It's because he would be the 41st vote to allow the the minority in Congress to filibuster a lot of their le- a lot of the Obama's legislative goals and they did that's exactly what happened he signed his stuff as 41 right scott brown 41 cuz he'd be the 41st vote to invoke the filibuster and he was able to do that effectively there was a lot of things that were on the table that the democrats weren't able to pass because of that so when people are you know, I think about that and, you know, people are like, I remember back then I was, you know, I was a registered Democrat. It was 2012, right? I was a registered Democrat. I'm like, I'm voting for Elizabeth Warren. They're like, oh, why? Scott Brown's such a cool guy. He's a good guy. He drives a truck and all that. I'm like, I, I don't want someone who's going to vote for Mitch McConnell to be majority leader. That's the bottom line, right? Ultimately, that's what matters, right? That's what matters is I don't want to vote for somebody that's going to make Mitch McConnell the majority leader. And it's the same thing with Liz Cheney. Liz Cheney... Democrats switching their registration to vote for Liz Cheney. She's not going to help you. She's not going to do you any favors. She's going to vote for Kevin McCarthy to be speaker, right? She's going to vote against voting rights. She's going to vote against health care legislation. You think she would have voted for this bill? I don't know if she did. Maybe she did or didn't. It's a free vote, right? She thinks she's going to vote against. She thinks she's going to vote for this Inflation Reduction Act. You think she's going to vote for? You think she's going to vote for the, the you know any uh, the? You think she probably didn't vote for ARPA. Right, she probably didn't vote for ARPA. She's just gonna vote for anything you want legislatively. Or if you're a Democrat, it doesn't make any sense. So it doesn't matter if Liz Cheney loses. You know, people are the soul of the party or whatever. Who cares? It's not about that. There's no compromise in Congress anyway. Anyway, so good riddance. Liz Cheney's a bad person. She sold her sister down the river. She sold her sister down the river to try to win a Senate seat. I don't even remember that. She, her sister. Her sister's gay, and she went out there and said, and there were robocalls going out uh, about Liz Cheney saying that she supports gay marriage, and she went out, instead of owning it, saying, yeah, I do, because my sister, because I'm a decent human with compassion, she said she doesn't. (laughs) She said she believes in one man, one woman, and she lost that election anyway. So I don't know. I say good riddance to Liz Cheney. Whatever. She's not... She's not good for democracy. 
right? She's not good for democracy. She's not a good person. She's not like a, she's not even a principled person. She doesn't care about Trump stealing the election or anything like that. What she cares about is keeping her faction or her father's faction, the Republican Party, in power. 508-996-0500, so you can get the program. I'm going to take a break. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus. 508-996-0500 is how you can get on the program. We're just talking a little bit about Liz Cheney's uh, impending primary loss uh, and why it really doesn't, you know, why it doesn't matter for democracy or integrity or whatever, whatever, um, whatever, like, uh, mawkish notions you have of how... Congress is or Congress should work or how the country is or how the country should work. But Lisa Murkowski is another uh, Republican senator that, that is in some trouble in Alaska. And I feel the same way about her as I do about, as I did about, like I said, Scott Brown. Um, so Lisa Murkowski from Alaska has often been looked to as like more of a swing. Co- her and Susan Collins in particular have been looked to as like uh, swing votes, right? Um, to um, in situations where it's a tight vote and it's important and they think, well, you know, maybe there'll be some integrity or whatever. And there never is, you know, it's the, like the perfect example. Susan, you know, Lisa Murkowski is just as Republican as every other Republican, except in like two situations. Like I remember when, uh, what's her name? Betsy DeVos was, being considered for when Betsy DeVos was being considered for secretary of education. Now, Betsy DeVos has recently come out in favor of getting rid of the secretary of education, right? I mean, the, uh, the, the department of education, she wants to abolish the department of ed- education. And she, you know, she'd clearly demonstrated that she doesn't actually didn't know about like the fun, you know, any fundamental stuff about education. She was clearly incompetent. Uh, she was a major Trump donor. She was put there, uh, despite being woefully unqualified for the position, um, she ran a, you know, was alleged to have run a bunch of scam universities that built people out of money. Um, and so she was, she was, she had to have, a, there had to be a tie-breaking vote by Mike Pence to get her confirmed. And the reason was, despite the fact that the Republicans had a 52 to 48 majority, is that Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins voted against uh, Betsy DeVos, right? And so people said, oh, look, see, they're reasonable. They know that party, uh, country over party and all of that stuff, right? But what people forget is that Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski were on the Senate Committee for Education and both had the opportunity to vote against Betsy DeVos and kill her nomination right there. It wouldn't even have gotten cleared committee. It wouldn't have even cleared committee to get to the floor, but they voted to clear it from committee, and then they got permission from Mitch McConnell to vote against them. That's the kind of, like, that's why, like, when people are talking about, oh, these, you know, look at all these reasonable people. Oh, wow, Liz Liz Cheney's getting killed. (laughs) She's losing by, like, 10 points right now with half the votes in Wyoming. So, uh... Yeah, Kornacki's going at it. But, um, yeah. Oh, yeah, she's getting killed. So she's going to lose. 
They're saying too early to call. She's going to lose. But Murkowski's probably going to win. Now, Murkowski is a lot like Liz Cheney in the fact that her father is very well known in their state politics. Her father was Frank Murkowski, who was a governor from Alaska, who was a governor of Alaska, and who was the uh, a senator from Alaska as well. Very, very involved in... Uh, in Alaska politics, so she gets a lot of benefit from that. And in fact, she won a write-in campaign after not making the ballot and won the Senate election. She run a she won a write-in campaign for Senate statewide. She got over like a hundred thousand votes in her name or something like that. Kind of crazy, but very unique. Most of the time, overwhelm like ninety nine percent of the time, writing can writing candidacies don't work. But I guess when your dad is like you know basically run the state for forty years, you you know you're able to get. You have enough name recognition. You have enough name recognition for a write-in campaign at that point for Senate. But she she was elected in 2010. So she got reelected in 2016. Uh, she One of her other votes was she voted against the repeal of the... She voted against the repeal of the, the uh, Affordable Care Act, the Obamacare. So she voted against the repeal of Obamacare in uh, when Trump was president. And it was like a skinny repeal of Obamacare. It wasn't going to be a full repeal. They were going to keep some stuff or whatever. Uh, and she and Collins voted against it. Now, again, the reason they were able to do that... First of all, you don't get credit for not killing people. Voting against... Repealing that law would kill, would kill people. Um, by dropping them out of coverage. So you don't really get credit for not killing people. Like if you vote to not kill people, you don't get to say that you have integrity or honor or whatever because that's like just like the baseline of like what a decent human being should do is vote against killing people. But she was able to vote against the Affordable Care Act because Mitch McConnell at the time didn't know that John McCain was going to kill the bill. Remember that moment? I don't know if you remember it. It was back in 2017 or 2018. John McCain walked in the Senate floor right in front of Mitch McConnell, stopped the vote, pointed his thumb down and said no, and then just kept walking. And the, the reaction was like, oh, my God. Again, they had permission to vote against it from McConnell because he thought he had McCain's vote and he didn't. So... Murkowski can lose, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if Murkowski loses. She gets in line like the rest of them. I, it's just annoying to me a lot of times when Democrats are like, oh, I like these sensible Republicans. There is not a Republican in Congress. If you are a Democrat and if you vote Democrat, if you don't want Mitch McConnell to be majority leader, if you don't want Kevin McCarthy to be speaker, there is not a single Republican in Congress that is your friend or that will be your friend. So I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear about how it's a, it's a grim day for democracy because Lisa Murkowski, by the way, was one of the, one of the Republicans in one of the Republicans. I mean, uh, in the Senate, one of the seven of them that voted against, uh, that voted, uh, voted to convict Trump for impeachment. It was, trying to remember it was Murkowski it was Mitt Romney it was Susan Collins for sure probably a few others maybe Ben Sass or something but it doesn't mean that these people are like honorable and dignified you know Murkowski I think is actually going to survive today she's at least going to survive the primary I don't know if she's going to survive the general 
but Murkowski's going to survive. Uh, Liz Cheney isn't, but it doesn't matter if they did or didn't because the votes would be the same. They're the same people. They do the same things as everybody else. That vote against Trump's, that vote to convict Trump for impeachment, it's a free vote. It's a free vote. He was already out of office. What does it matter? Like, he was already out of office. What's it matter? He was already gone. It's a free vote. But they're able to take advantage of free votes to make it look like they appear to be moderate or dignified or discerning. But they're all the same. They're all the same. There isn't a deliberative or, um, you know, sort of like there isn't somebody that will buck the trend. Right. John McCain was one of those people, too. He he said he was a maverick, but he really wasn't like Malik McCarthy said before the reason he was big into campaign finance, which, again, I'll take it. Right. Even though a lot of that's been gutted by now anyway. But the reason he was big into campaign finance is because he needed to remake his image after he got caught, um, you know, glad handing with the Keating five in the early 90s. After he got caught taking uh, basically taking kickbacks uh, for helping somebody, uh, a big banker, um, during the, the saving and loans debacle. Right. So, you know, the result of these primaries today, it's, it's like important to look out for just to see like what Trump's influence is in the party nationwide. But in terms of like the makeup of Congress and the ability to get things done, it's going to be the same Congress either way. 508-996-0500. Take this break. We'll be right back. Listen to. Hey, welcome back to South Coast tonight. I'm Marcus, and I'm taking your calls at 508-996-0500 or taking your messages on the WBSM app chat. Uh, so, yeah, the so we're you know nothing really new on the the Trump Mar-a-Lago saga. You know, looking at it, we know that they've unsealed some of the uh, you know the warrant and the receipt of the warrant, but they didn't. They haven't unsealed the affidavit. I guess there's going to be a hearing on it on Thursday in federal court in the Southern District of Florida. Um, you know, they, they're saying that the unsealing the, the Warren affidavit is going to be detrimental to the ongoing criminal investigate or ongoing criminal investigations and to, and to national security. So assuming obviously that's a criminal investigation to Trump and maybe people affiliated with Trump, right that they're looking for maybe it has something to do with the, maybe there's criminal investigations into people associated with trump and those documents that he has has something to do with it we can only speculate because they're not going to release it which i think is 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 uh you know i think that's that's something because you assume just like the warrant was that anything they release would be fairly heavily redacted anyway would be fairly heavily redacted anyway but they don't even want to take that chance they're saying whatever is basically redacted is still a threat to even even with the redacted people might be able to i guess read in between those lines enough to um enough to jeopardize both a criminal investigation and national security. So the coverage on this has been very, it's been really slow moving. You know, a lot of the details have, have been, you know, it's like pulling a thread, but a lot of the details 
haven't been borne out as much. And so we're still waiting on that. Um, 508-996-0500. Going to take the last break of the show, and I'll be right back. Hey, welcome back. I'm Marcus. Chris is out tonight, but he'll be back tomorrow. Again, reminder, we've got the sheriff's primary debate tomorrow. So you'll definitely want to tune in for that. Uh, it's from 8 to 10. From 8 to, uh, 8 to 9, we're going to be asking them questions. They're going to be asking each other questions. That's Attleboro Mayor Paul Haru, Attorney Nick Bernier, former Somerset Police Chief George McGill. And then from uh, 9 to 10, you get to ask them questions at 508 996 0500. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and, um, I wanted to preview a couple of, cause we've got a lot of candidates coming in. This is going to be where all the candidates come, uh, to be heard, to talk to you guys in South coast tonight. We have, um, Rashawn Hall, uh, district attorney candidate. He's scheduled to come in in the next couple weeks. We have Timothy Cruz, who's the district attorney for Plymouth and uh, Plymouth County and has been for a long time, Republican district attorney for Plymouth and has been for a long time. He's scheduled to come in, I believe, on the 29th. Uh, Chris Doty is coming in on the 30th. Um, tomorrow, actually, before the primary, we have Quentin Palfrey coming in to talk to us for a half hour from 7.30 to 8. And we have Kim Driscoll coming in next week, I believe, on the 23rd. 23rd or the 24th, I'll check that. But Kim Driscoll's coming in at 8.30. Uh, on the 24th, I believe, Tammy Gavea, uh, lieutenant governor candidate, Kim Driscoll's the mayor, mayor Salem, lieutenant governor candidate. Tammy Gavea is the is a state rep from Acton and a lieutenant governor candidate. She's going to be in studio as well, I believe, on the twenty fourth. Um, and so we've got a we've got a good group uh, of candidates that are coming in, uh, and they want to talk to you, and you can call them, and you can give them a call. Um, I'm trying to think of the other candidates that I have that we have coming in. Uh, there's more that we're scheduling too. You know, it's there's more that we're booking. There's a lot of interest for people to come and we get candidate request forms uh, quite a bit. So they want to talk to us and they want to talk to you guys. And when they're on, what I like about this show is that when they're on, you can call them and you can talk to them. You know, when we have our elected officials on and we have our candidates on, they are directly accountable to you. And they'll talk to you. That's what they mean, and the and that's what we mean in the uh, in the intro music when they, we say they're 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 being held accountable. So we've got all that coming up for you guys, and we're all super excited about it. So um, that's pretty much it for tonight. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for calling in, and I will catch you guys tomorrow for the big sheriff's debate. Don't forget. We'll remind you. Don't forget. You won't forget. Because you know it's important. Big sheriff's debate, Democratic primary debate, tomorrow, 8 to 10. Tune in, and from 9 to 10, you can call in and ask the sheriff's questions yourself. Ask the sheriff candidates questions yourself. All right, I'll see you guys tomorrow.